Well, good morning, church. It's great to worship Jesus with you this morning and to open his word uh, just shortly. Um, my wife and I just celebrated our 11th wedding anniversary. And uh, I guess that is a big deal in today's age. But yeah, we've been married for 11 years and uh, my wife is the sweetest. Uh, like many of you, when you celebrate an anniversary, you go on a date, we, we certainly do that, but she creates so much uh, so many intentional uh, opportunities for us when we get together to celebrate our anniversary. Um, so, of course, you know, we, we uh, hire a babysitter. And uh, because we know that if we don't take a picture right then and there, we're going to forget. And so we always get our babysitter to take our date photo so we can lock it away and, and remember it. And then we go and uh, enjoy, like, each other's company. Uh, before we go into the restaurant, we, uh, we put our phones in the glove box lock it and uh, head inside. Now here's where my sweet wife comes in. She has pre-thought out, pre-written questions for us to discuss at dinner time. Some of you husbands are like, oh Lord, <laughs> wow. But no, one of the, the common questions that she always, uh, we always discuss is, hey, let's look back uh, over the past, at this point it was 11 years, and what were some defining moments that brought us closer together and ultimately closer to God. That question we have been discussing every year since we've been married and one of the things that we always talk about, it comes up a lot, is a defining moment in our marriage when we, were, uh, we had been married for about a year. Uh, Alicia got robbed at gunpoint. And uh, what had happened is we got invited to a, a buddy's wedding in downtown Fort Worth. And that day and that night, I was being selfish and I was probably being a jerk. Actually, I know I was being a jerk because I remember the tense car ride on the way home. You know, my wife is sitting there waiting for me to, to apologize and just pride kicks in. And so it was a tense car ride home. We, you know, we put on the face, like our marriage is, is perfect at the wedding, but as, as soon as we got back in the car and we we're driving home, it was like silence. And uh, when we get home uh, to our apartment, uh, Alicia stays buckled up and I was like, you coming in? She's like, no, I need to drive and cool off and pray for you. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> yikes. And uh, so I reluctantly get out of the car and walk up to our apartment complex and uh, put on my PJs and start crafting my apology because uh, I knew it was coming and I knew I, I, I needed to step up. About 10 minutes goes by and I hear just this rustle at the door. And uh, I'm like, my wife, she has keys. Why, why can't she come in? So I go and open the door and she just bolts right in. Tears streaming down her face, like mascara is just like going all down her cheeks. And it's, it's terror. It's the emotion of terror. Uh, and I knew really quickly, I'm like, I didn't do that to you, did I? Um, something else had just happened. And uh, through her sobbing tears and just terrified tone, I was able to distinguish that she had just been robbed in our parking lot right down below. And uh, see, what had happened was there's a man who was hiding in the shadows looking for a perfect opportunity for a, a lone woman, petite, walking uh, up to the stairs at night and, and he pops out with a gun drawn and uh, he says, give me your engagement ring, 
give me your purse, give me your car keys. And she, she gives it to him and he said, lay down. And if you look at me or you get up, I'm gonna shoot you and I'm gonna kill you. And I have, I have no idea how long uh, my sweet wife laid there. But I can imagine it was long enough for her, t- her heart to just sink. And she finally worked up the courage to uh, run up the stairs and, and come into uh, a safe location. Now that season for us, um, as difficult as it was, we, we choose to define it as a worshipful experience for us. Because a, a few things happened. Number one, we recognized that no matter how deep the pain was and how extensive the fear was, that God's love and healing can, can overcome any of it. Um, it also called me to step up to a higher level of leader in our home um, and to be more intentional about being a protector. Um, and it also showed us what God's community can do to bring us to the healing presence of Jesus. And so as we recall and we debrief that experience, it seems like pretty regularly on our anniversary, it is a worshipful experience to us. Now, I don't know your exact story, what's going on in your life, but I can imagine there are some moments in your past where you're still holding on to a sense of pain, some turmoil, and it's a weight. Some of you have found healing from that in the past, and you can say that it's a a worshipful experience for you when you recall those moments. And some of you are still in process. And my hope for you is that you would know that you're welcome here. No matter how deep the pain is, no matter how extensive the fear is, that you know that you belong here. Because I believe that where the gospel is preached and the word of God is elevated, that there is peace and freedom can be found. And I hope you find that this morning. That's my prayer for you. No matter how extensive the pain is and how deep the cut is, that you would find peace and freedom from it. And we're in a series right now. We're actually kind of landing the plane. A series called Do What Matters. We've spent the past five weeks talking about what it looks like to have a life that matters. How do you have a life that matters? You do what matters. And so today we're talking about how do you have a life that matters by investing your life into other people. If you brought your Bibles, turn with me or click with me to Mark chapter two. If you happen to slip out of your house this morning without a Bible, uh, we got your back. There's one in the seat back in front of you. And Mark chapter two is on page 569. We're also gonna put it on the screens for you. Here we go, verse one. When he being Jesus, entered Capernaum again after some days. It was reported that he was at home. And so many people gathered together that there was no more room, not even in the doorway. And he was speaking the word to them. Now, let me give you some context about what's happening here. Jesus's ministry was well underway and he was already ruffling people's feathers. He was ruffling their feathers, ruffling the feathers of uh, religious leaders and uh, politicians uh, because his message was highly controversial and highly debated. It was rebellious. And so Jesus was loved by many because of his do-gooder sense. You know, he was healing people and his message brought hope and peace and life. 
But there was also a segment of the population that uh, Jesus was an obstacle for them. Um, kind of the scene that I get here is a modern day town hall meeting. You ever been watching local news and uh, uh, you're flipping through and they're talking about this new tax reform or new zoning laws and there's people inside of this community center, this town hall meeting, standing at the podium and they're just like angry over the issue. And the room is split. There's people in the room who want the change and there's people in the room who are against it. And it's like this uh, debate going on. That's kind of like what's happening here. Um, Jesus had been kicked out of his hometown at this point of Nazareth and established a new HQ in what many, to be, many believe as Peter's home in, uh, in Capernaum. And they're, they're sitting there in Peter's house and the crowd is just bursting out of the doorway and people are uh, grabbing a, 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 a thing of popcorn and they're just watching this debate go down. Uh, there's two groups of people that I want us to look into. The first one are these Pharisees. The prideful Pharisees saw Jesus as their obstacle. The prideful Pharisees saw Jesus as their obstacle. Uh, these scribes, really, and Pharisees, they struggled with pride. They saw Jesus as an obstacle. They hated his message because it centered around faith. And it debunked their message of works meaning you can earn God's love by doing these things. That was the message of the Pharisees. The message of Jesus was, hey, you can't earn my love, I freely give it to you, just by placing your faith in me. The Pharisees truly believed that they were better than everyone else to the point that they were scared that they would become unclean if they uh, surrounded themselves, sat next to, or interacted with a known sinner. Um, this is why uh, stoning was a uh, form of capital punishment for the Jews. You know, there was so much separation between the clean and the unclean that if, if you are against God's will and you have crossed the line to the point of, of death, that they're not even gonna touch you. They're just gonna throw stones at you extreme separation, extreme pride. And Jesus comes in with a new message and he is setting them straight. Highly debated scene taking place in Peter's home. Have you ever been in a crowded place before and uh, seen someone wearing a medical mask? You ever seen that before? I have. Um, it's usually, you know, at an airport or something like that, but I've seen people wearing medical masks at the grocery store. Uh, I've seen people wearing medical masks at a, a concert, like rocking out, wearing a mask. And it's like, a, it's a noticeable thing. You can't like hide and wear a medical mask. They're like stark white. Now, I don't know these people's story at all. And I would assume that they have a very good reason for wearing uh, a mask. Um, but in a lot of ways, if you're, if you're at a a rock concert or going grocery shopping, chances are you're not uh, afraid of getting someone else sick because you wouldn't be front row rocking out to Metallica or whatever. Um, but you would be stuck up in your house trying to overcome this sickness. And so maybe these people are wearing these masks because they're afraid of getting sick. And that's really a, a good picture of what is going on in the hearts of these Pharisees. 
that they are afraid of catching the sin of other people. And they see Jesus as an obstacle that they need to overcome. Let's keep reading. Verse 3. They came to him, being Jesus, bringing a paralytic. Now this paralyzed man in that day and age was considered unclean. They believed that he was paralyzed because of a sin that either the parents committed or something that this man did. And so this paralyzed man was outcasted from society. He couldn't come uh, to the temple to worship. And uh, man, these four guys came to Jesus bringing a paralyzed man. And since they were not able to bring to him, bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And after digging through it, they lowered the mat on which the paralyzed man was lying. Seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Man, this story is so vivid to me. It's so awesome when you stop and you consider everything that these four guys had to go through. A ton. You know, they had probably heard that Jesus was traveling through their town. And one of the four guys remembered that they had a friend who was paralyzed. They're like, hey, I heard Jesus was healing people. Let's go get him. So they set out across town to pick their buddy up. They had to get close to him. You know, they didn't have wheelchairs in that day and age. So he sat on a mat. And so they either grabbed the four corners of the mat or gave homeboy a piggyback ride. Who knows? But they had to get close to him. That's a different posture than what the culture at that time saw paralyzed people. And they walk up to Peter's house and they see the huge crowd. And I bet, I bet they tried to weasel their way in through the crowd, you know. They were probably met with the same kind of response that you would be met with if you were trying to cut line somewhere. Like, I got here first, dog. You you're taller than me. You're not going to stand in front of me. You should have been here earlier. So like, I'm going to act like I don't see you, but I'm going to get real close to my buddy and not let you kind of squeeze in between us. You know what I'm talking about? We've done that. You've all done that before. So these boys, these men, they see this, this crowd as an obstacle and uh, someone in the group had to have been a creative problem solver. And he's like, hey, let's go on top of the roof. And they climb up. And they have to get creative again. I mean, they're not just going to like dig a hole and drop this guy. That would be rude and uh, uh, may make him worse off. But, uh, you know, they, they, they dig a hole in the roof, which begs the question, someone had to have ponied up a few shekels to say, I'm going to pay to get this roof fixed afterwards. You know, they needed some sort of rope. So they either went and bought some rope or they took their own belts off and formed some sort of sling. Uh, what I want you to see here is that there were tons of obstacles for these four guys, tons. And they chose to press on through each one. They could have just said, it's too inconvenient, not anymore. Let's just take them back and maybe we'll catch Jesus some other day. But they were dead set on getting their friend to the healing presence of Jesus. They did whatever it took to get him there. Church, I want to poke at a soft spot here. 
My intentions behind this is to not necessarily offend uh, me included in this, but to hopefully uh, help us as a church grow in our self-awareness. Don't miss the fact that an obstacle for these guys was the crowd, was the people. It was an obstacle back then, and unfortunately, it's an obstacle today. You know, a lot of people don't have problems with Jesus. They have problems with his followers. And I'm not saying that we're intentionally being obstacles for people to experience the healing power of Jesus. But what if we were a church that seriously considered the things that we inadvertently do? Or like, if someone were to come in here, and they didn't fit the typical Colleyville, South Lake vibe, would they want to come back? You know, I bet, you would, I bet we would smile at them, but would we go out of our way into helping them feel like they belong so they can experience the healing power of Jesus? Is your community group open to anyone and everyone? Or do you have to look a certain way, be in a certain stage of life, or act a certain way? What if we were a church who seriously considered the things that we do that push people away from Jesus? Are you thinking, Johnny, I hear you, but like there's a team here. It's like a hospitality team, right? Somebody's asked me to join the hospitality team before and I got volunteered a few times, like opened the door and smiled at people and passed out the, the sermon notes. Like I've done that. Or really, what you're talking about, Johnny, is, is really the staff's job. It's the staff's job to make everyone feel welcome. I mean, I would, I would beg to differ. I'd say it's our job. And it's not just us coming here and getting our weekly dose of Jesus and, and then on to, you know, our week because we have our own problems but what if we seriously considered the people that are sitting around us and the people that are, have yet to darken our doors and said, what can we do to make that person or that family feel welcome and that they belong here so that they can experience the healing power of Jesus? That'd be an incredible, incredible thing. The prideful Pharisees saw Jesus as their obstacle Whereas these four buddies, the selfless friends, saw Jesus as their savior. They knew Jesus was the healer of all pain and sickness. They overcame obstacle after obstacle to get their buddy to his presence. They invested their life into another person to put their faith in action. And look at what great links they went to to make this happen. Verse six, but some of the scribes were sitting there and they were questioning in their hearts, why does he speak like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And right away, Jesus perceiving in his spirit what they were thinking like this within themselves. And he said to these people, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? And he just read their mind. He answered their question before they even came out of their mouth. And he asks an amazing question that hits him right, right at home. He's setting the scene for something amazing to happen. He goes, hey, which is easier, 
to say to the paralytic, your sons are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he told the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And immediately he got up, took the mat, sure he had a little pep in his step, skipping out, walking for the first time unhindered. And he went out in front of everyone. And as a result, don't miss this, they were all astounded and gave glory to God saying, we've never seen anything like this. Here's what this story is all about. This whole section of scripture right here. He healed his paralysis, the miracle that everyone could see so that they would believe that he could heal his sins, his hurt, his pain, the miracle that they could not see. He healed his paralysis, the miracle that everyone could see, so that everyone would believe that Jesus also had power to heal his sins and his hurt and his pain, which also happened to be the miracle that no one could see. There is a stark difference between how the world sees uh, investing their life and how the kingdom of God does. The world views investing your life in someone else. Um, and it's like this. It says, man, in order to be great, I got to be on top. And if, if, if you're going to invest your life in me, it's got to come up towards me. And so I'm going to pick and choose friends who can add value to me and my status and who I am as a person. And I'm going to choose groups of people, my life, the choices that I'm going to make, everyone else is going to be around what things or organizations can add value to me. Some of you have been burned by this, this mindset before. And you used to be really close with someone. And your relationship was really awesome. And it was a, a good, healthy friendship. And then all of a sudden, they just dropped you like a bad habit. You're like, what happened? Why aren't you texting me anymore? Why aren't you calling me like you used to? How come, you know, you don't invite me over? And then you, you stop and you recognize that they just chose to surround themselves with people who could add more value to them and, and improve their status. Doesn't that hurt? Doesn't that, doesn't that sting? The kingdom of God is the complete opposite of how the world sees investment. The kingdom of God says greatness is to be on the bottom. It's to invest our affection, our time, and resources into people who can't add any value to us whatsoever so that they can see the character and unconditional love of Jesus. We are called to invest our time, resources, and affection in other people who can't add an ounce of value to us. Jesus describes this as the least of these. And this, friend, is how you have a life that matters. You wanna have a life that matters? Invest your life in other people. Not so that value can be added to you, but so that you can add value to them and they can see the love of Jesus through it. Jesus is very clear, John 13, 34 through 35 says this, a new commandment I give you. That's an important statement right there. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, 
So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love one another. Put your faith in action. Friend, do you realize that we can add zero value to God? We can add zero value to him. And yet, he chose to invest his literal life into us. Lost it. Why? Two things. Your healing and his glory. Your healing and his glory. We can add zero value to God, and yet he flipped the script. He said, I am going to invest my life in you for your healing and my glory. And 10 years ago, when Elisha was robbed, we were in a low and low, 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 dark place. It was bad. And we needed friends to carry us to the presence of Jesus. And they delivered. We couldn't spend another night in our apartment. Alicia was just too terrified. Someone from the church opened their home to us. Uh, our landlord was being a little shady. And uh, he didn't like the fact that we needed to break our lease. And uh, we weren't then. We still aren't now rolling in the dough. And so it's not like we have a couple grand to throw at a security deposit. And so someone in a tangible way came through and paid our security deposit on our behalf. Women from the church knew when I was away on a ministry trip or an event and they would just show up to our house that night so that Alicia didn't have to be alone. People would write us letters, handwritten, just to let us know that they are praying for us and that they love us. And unbeknownst to us, middle schoolers that I was, I was ministering to, kind of behind the scenes, they, they gathered their piggy banks and they emptied them out. You know what they did? They bought an exact replica of the engagement ring that I gave Alicia. Do you know how worshipful that was? God's people showed up, brought someone who needed healing to the presence of Jesus. Dozens of Christ followers inconvenienced themselves and invested their life into us, and we couldn't add any value to them at all. Church, look around you. Look to your right. Look to the people sitting over here. Look to your left. Now look behind you. Yeah, like, turn your head. Yeah, turn your head. Look behind you. You recognize there are people here who are hurting? They don't show it from the outside. We put up our walls. There are people here who are hurting and people yet to have darkened our doors who need to be brought to the healing presence of Jesus. And what if we were a church who put our faith in action by investing our life in other people? How would that change this community? Big time. They need you to show them the Jesus that we sing and teach about. They need you to show them that the words that we say and the words that we read are an actual reality. This whole series has uh, actually been uh, uh, kind of behind the scenes. 
part of our pathway. And so surprise, surprise, we, this pathway that we have is how we accomplish our goal, our mission of leading every generation to know and follow Jesus. That's why this message is so important and every message before this. That's why it's so important that we as a body of believers understand this and grasp this. Look, check this out. How do you know Jesus? Five weeks ago, Pastor Craig talked about, well, you need to explore. And so how do you have a life that matters? Knowing Jesus matters. How do you have a life that matters? We spent two weeks talking about this. Connecting with Christ through worship. Connecting with other people matters. Last week, Pastor Craig uh, talked about how do you have a life that matters? Growth matters. You personally growing in your awareness of God's holiness and your awareness of your need for him. And today talking about how do we multiply the kingdom of God by investing our life. That's how you have a life that matters. So friend, I have a very specific challenge for you. This week, not like sometime soon. I think we all like to just justify whenever, you know, the word of God becomes super practical and we're like, yeah, maybe I'll get to that. Just, it's not convenient for me yet. But my challenge to you is that this week, this week, you would identify one person in your life who can't add an ounce of value to them, to you. And that you would invest your life in them, your affection, your time, and your resource. Not a one and done kind of random act of kindness. Those are okay. Those are good. But like these four buddies in Mark chapter 2, I want to challenge you to own the entire task of bringing them to the healing presence of Jesus. Does that sound pretty daunting? It does to me at times. But it certainly doesn't give me a pass to continue to sit on my hands and hope that someone else will do it. Because that mindset and that posture is what makes me an obstacle for people to actually experience Jesus themselves. Identify one person this week who can't add an ounce of value to you and bring them to the healing presence of Jesus. Not only is it a command of scripture, but something amazing happens too when we do this. Did you catch it in verse 12, the end of this passage? It says this, as a result of the church seeing, this crowd seeing these four friends bring their, their buddy to the healing presence of Jesus, as a result, they were all astounded. And I believe those four friends got an extra measure of that. And they gave glory to God saying, we've never seen anything like this. I don't just want to come to church and like keep getting my weekly dose of Jesus. I want to be astounded by God's glory and his power. And how do we do that? By seeing people getting healed of their pain in life and redeemed I don't just want to send you out like sheep among wolves. I have three warnings for you that if you live this out, if you take this challenge very seriously, there's three things that I want to warn you about. Warning one, investing your life should make you feel uncomfortable. Yeah, should. Embrace the awkwardness. Choose to be awkward so that that person doesn't have to feel awkward anymore. Take that off of their shoulders. They're already hurting. They already need to to be healed. 
And so take that awkward feeling off of them and just love them. Go out of your way. Friend, if you're not uncomfortable or you haven't been uncomfortable as a follower of Jesus in a while, should really challenge you to say, am I really wholeheartedly following Jesus or am I just like one of those spectators watching other people do the, the work of the Lord and wondering why I'm not greatly astounded at God's glory and wondering why I don't experience joy. So if it's been a while since you've been uncomfortable, man, step into that, friend. It's worth it. Warning two. Investing your life will leave spectators curiously scratching their head. And so be ready to share your why. Choose an investment that intentionally leaves people questioning your motives so that you can share the gospel with them. Warning three, investing your life will make it easy to steal God's glory. And if you do, just know God's probably not going to bless it in an eternal way. You got your do-good feeling. And that's it. People can easily sniff out your false motives anyways. And so how do you combat that? Submit it to prayer before you step into it. My challenge to you this week is to identify one person in your life who can't add an ounce of value to you and invest your time, your affection, and your resources into them and bring them to the healing presence of Jesus. Own the entire pursuit. Don't just do a one and done random act of kindness. Beloved, I'm gonna, in closing, end in a time of prayer. Uh, and this prayer is uh, really, I wanna invite those of you who are already following Jesus. You already have a relationship with him. This prayer is for you. And this is a dangerous prayer. So know that from the outset going in. Did you know that the word amen actually has meaning? It means uh, so be it, or let it be so, or I agree. And so when you say amen, it's, man, I agree with that. So be it. I welcome that in my life. And so I'm going to pray a dangerous prayer. And I'm going to ask for those of you who want to get serious about investing your life in someone else, and you want to be greatly astounded by all the things that God can do to respond at the end of the prayer with amen. Now, if you're not ready for that yet, totally fine. I would rather you have a clear conscience with God and just not say anything at all than to bandwagon it. But I believe if we are a church and a people that presses into this, this pathway that we're talking about, we will see Jesus reign in this city and all the things that we see in life that we disagree with and that we hope that God would do something about, that we would start seeing Jesus reign and step up in this world. But it requires us to get off of our hands and to put our faith in action.